Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Let's pick it up from verse 10. Matthew 18, verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angel in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So the context we're about to read is about someone who's going astray. But where he starts on this is he says, see to it that you don't despise any of these little ones. See to it that, that in the midst of a brother or a sister who's going astray, that you don't move into a position of despising them. Now let's read how, how we should deal with a brother or sister who's going astray, and we'll see precisely what the Scriptures say to do. In verse 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. The scripture gives us a very precise routine for going through if a brother sins. So by this it means a brother or sister. This is in the body of Christ. If you know someone to be a believer and they are committing an act of sin... And in fact, the New, American, the New International Version, which most of you read, which is not a, a, a very precise translation, it, it uh, tries to put it in, in a more readable sort of English, it says, if your brother sins against you. That's, that's found in some of the later manuscripts. There's another passage in Luke that says, if your brother sins, correct him. So in other words, it's not just sinning against us. We, we, we might say, well, you know, he's sinning, but he's not bothering me. No, the issue also is if we see a brother caught in, in a sin. So if you see a brother sin, if you see a brother in sin, whether it's against us personally or against anyone, there are scriptures that say if you see a brother in sin, go and correct him. And, and my Bible says if you see a brother in sin, go and show him. The New International Version has taken the portion that comes from some of the later manuscripts and says, sinning against you. Okay, so if you see a brother sin, go and show him his fault in private. I've corrected many people, and I've corrected many people wrongly. Meaning I haven't followed this precise format. 
and it's gotten me into trouble. And what I'd love to do is be able to share a little bit about that to spare you from the trouble. There's an, another portion in, in Galatians. You can keep your finger right here in Matthew 18, but turn to Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, it mentions something else about going and correcting your brother. In, in Galatians chapter 6, reading from verse 1. Brethren, if, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So he says that when you go to correct someone, do it in a spirit of gentleness. That is the first means of correction. But he says, look to yourselves too so that you too don't be tempted. If Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount back in, in Matthew chapter 7, which we've already uh, uh, read, he says, he says that... that don't try to remove the speck from your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Very often, the easiest thing to see, the easiest problem to see in another's life is a problem that we have ourselves. So in other words, um, there are certain habits that some people have that kind of bother me. And as I look to myself, I realize I have the very same habit. And this is common, and that's why Jesus says, remember to remove the log from your own eye before you try to take the speck out of a brother, brother's eye. So the first thing he says is look to ourselves so that we ourselves don't get tempted. We're to look to ourselves when we deal with trying to correct a brother. The first thing is examine our own life and say, Lord, do I have that in my own life? If I do, let me deal with it. Now, I don't want to keep you from correcting a brother. I'm just saying the scriptural pattern is first thing. Look at ourselves and see if we have that pattern. You know, this came up just this week. I was supposed to have lunch with somebody and it, it was all arranged. And, and even, even that morning, I had emailed his secretary and said, would, would you remind him that we're on for lunch? He said, he's been reminded we're all set. And so I show up there and I waited for 30 minutes and the person never showed up. And finally, I went back to the office and and uh, uh, later on that day, I got an email from that person apologizing that, you know, they just got a lot going and, and uh, forgot the lunch. And I replied to him, I said, don't worry about it, I have missed many lunches. And I copied it, and then I sent it forward to another guy who I was supposed to report on the lunch. He said, how did you handle this so kindly? I said, because I have many logs in my own eye. I have missed many lunches with people. Many times people have sat there waiting for me to come. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, you're sitting in this restaurant and you have your water and everything and, you know, nobody shows up. And after 30 minutes, you're like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know. I've done that to other people. So it's really easy for me to say, hey, don't worry about it. I know what it's like. You just forget. I mean, you just, good people forget. Things like that happen. But what it says here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 is, if your brother sins. This is very specific. It has to be a sin. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't like the way you laugh. You need to change the way you laugh. The way a person laughs may irritate us, but it is not a sin and it's not our place to correct them. 
unless they are terribly embarrassing themselves and you may as a friend want to say, you know, when you snort like that, you, you, try, you, you know, you can do that with a friend, but it's not a matter of correction in this sense. That's not what the Scripture is talking about. If we follow the Scriptures precisely, we're going to do well. And it says, if a brother sins, that's very specific, and it's not something that I don't like. It is something that you find in the New Testament that it is specifically a sin. Specifically tells, some, tells us not to do. So if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. I have found that it is much better, goes much better when I go to correct someone, if I first ask them a question. Why did you do this? Or why do you do this? And I'll give you an example where I learned this. Once I went to correct my pastor, not Pastor Landrum, this was many churches ago, when, when I was, uh, this was uh, more than 20 years ago. And it was about 25 years ago, and I went to correct the pastor because I felt he had done something wrong. And it was in private. And after I got done correcting him, he said, now let me tell you the full picture. And as he revealed the whole picture, all the pieces that I never saw before, it became clear he had not sinned. He was doing exactly what he had to do. And it goes much better for us if we first examine ourselves to see if we have that sin, make sure it is a sin we're correcting, and then if we go and start with a question, why do you do this? And let them begin to explain it, because maybe... In that revelation, it would be clear that this person hasn't sinned. They had to deal with that situation in that particular way. He says, it, then it says, go and show him his fault in private. Show him. Here is the Bible. This is what the Bible says. I am showing you what the Bible says. I think you may be doing wrong here according to this. And you do that in private <clears throat> before... You go and share it with others. Um, uh, Noah's son got in big trouble for sharing a fault that Noah was doing, was drinking and carousing a bit in his own tent. And his, one of his sons went and blabbed it to the other sons and got in big trouble for that. And the other sons just dealt with the situation. Before we're to tell others, we're to go and, and deal with this person in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So if he listens, you've won. That's it. It's over. You've won your brother. And, and it says in James that, that he who turns a brother from sin has done a great thing and has covered a multitude of sins. So many things can be covered this way. Then if he doesn't listen, if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Okay, so when you go with one or two others, then it's the one or two others who are then presenting the problem. You go with them, one or two others, not six others, one or two others. That's it. And let the other person present this matter to the individual. Because he says, if he refuses to listen to them... And it is, it says, if he refuses to listen, not that, you know, you're right, 
I'm trying. I'll try to do better. And then the next week, he stumbles again. You don't yet go to the church because he's trying to do better. When he has made a patent refusal, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to change my ways. When there is that sort of refusal, not that, oh, you know, I blew it again. Because we all know, we all know what it is to deal with sins in our life and to feel that, you know, we've got that one licked and then just, you know, blow it again. And, well, well, I've got it licked now and then we blow it again. We've all been there. And the interesting thing is that when we get saved, God delivers us from certain sins instantly. And from others, He does, does not. Because I think that if He delivered us from all our struggles instantly, we would become intolerable. It would be very easy for us to shed judgment on another. I know that when I first got saved, I was delivered miraculously from pornography. I mean, just, it just, all the magazines, there, there was no internet at that time, there was no electronic pornography, it was, it, was, uh, it was magazines. And I was able to get rid of them all and it was done. And I have met many men that once they've been saved, there is still that struggle. Why God delivered me in that instant, I don't know, but I thank Him for it. But the matter of lust within my mind was a matter that was a much deeper struggle for me. We all have struggles. I've met men that, that were delivered from smoking the instant they got saved, and other men that battle smoking for years. And not that smoking is a sin in itself, but where men want deliverance from it. Some men, they're able to drop this down and other men can't so quickly. Only when there's a refusal to listen to that group of people that's come, then you go to the church. And then it says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So again, only if there's a refusal, not if there's, hey, a struggle, I'm trying, help me. I blew it again. Then... He's still your brother. You still treat him as a brother. But if there's a refusal that, no, I'm not listening to that pastor. Who is he? What does he have to say to me? Then Jesus said, you treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector, meaning you treat them as an unbeliever. How did Jesus treat unbelievers? He was cordial. He spoke to them. He talked to them. He would go into the tax collector's home and he would eat. But they were no longer part of his inner circle. That's how you treat them. There is a separation that occurs, but it's not a separation that we don't communicate with them. Now, there may be certain parameters that you put upon this, that, you know, until you deal with this thing, we're going to have to hold you accountable to certain things. You can put certain parameters on it within the context of the church, but it's very precise. Let Let me give you another example where I did wrongly on this. Guy calls me up, and, and this young man is, is in Christian ministry. And he calls me up with this really silly idea for a business proposal. And in fact, the idea really is sinful in the, fact, in, in the way it was going to work. It was crude, it was lewd, and, it, and, and I said, no, this is, this is really a stupid idea. Just let's get past it. So he had called me on the phone and shared it. 
And after I had given him my reasons for why this thing would be so wrong, he said to me, just before we got off the phone, he said, so you're not going to help me with it? Well, duh! You know what I mean? I just, I, and I just said goodbye, and I hung up. Well, the next day, I get this email from him, and this email is, what if I, as a Christian man, commit the majority of the proceeds from this business proposition to the Lord's work? Well, so I, I wrote this long email back, and I called him Balaam. And Balaam, you know, Balaam tried to, you, you know, I said, your name is Balaam. And I explained to him how he was going to sell away God for some, some money. And there's nothing wrong in that. I mean, I'm, I'm not repentant for that. But what I did wrongly at that point, feeling as if I had already talked to him in private, we had already dealt with this issue on the phone, and it was coming back again, I copied three other people who he knew, who he respected. Well, that's not what the Scriptures say to do. The Scriptures say that I should have gone to him at that point with one or two others, not copying an email to three other people. That got him really upset. And when I reflected back, I had to say, yes, that was wrong. And I went to those three people and I apologized to them verbally for what I had done by copying them on that email. So, you see, it was just a little bit of a modification, but it was a wrong modification that I went through. This is a very precise protocol of the way we deal with one who's going in a wrong way. And you've heard this verse many times that say, in verse 18, let's read it. Matthew 18, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three, if two of you agree on earth about anything, that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Okay, so, two or three gathered together and ask for anything, it's going to be done. Shereen and I, we have our morning prayer time together. And we're going to pray for $10 million. You're going to believe it. You're going to pray for it. $10 million. I could sure use it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'll do something with it. We'll give half of it to the church. All right? So, so now we've put it in a, in, in, a, in a proper scriptural context. I mean, how, how gracious of me. What giving people we are. And so two of us are gathered together. In fact, we'll call the kids. You know, and so... <laughs> We're all together, and there's six of us. So it's, it's multiplied now. And we're going to pray for $10 million. We're going, to, we're going to stand on faith, and we're going to get that. We're going to pray that it comes tomorrow. You know, because it says, whatever you ask. So why wait? Let's just pray that we get it tomorrow. And, you know, I'll have the forklift ready. <laughs> Let's look at the context of this. The context of this is calling upon a brother who is in sin. The whole context of this is don't despise one of these little ones. If one of them is straying, your Heavenly Father has deep concern for them. Here is how you correct the one who is straying. And this is the context of these verses. 
that if two, that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What we are to do for, to the people, for the people that we are planning to correct and going or to correct is to pray for them. To pray for them. In fact, I think if we would pray for people before we go and correct them, we wouldn't even have to correct them because God would so change their hearts. The context of this is very precise and very strong. If two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. You want to turn around a straying brother or a straying sister? Once you've gone and spoken to them, and now they've not listened, and you want to bring this to two people, you want to bring two or three people with you, Take this other person and begin to pray with this other person to bind on earth what this person is doing, what that sinner is doing. To bind it on earth and to loose in heaven the powers of God to be poured out upon them. This is the context of this being given. It's not in the context of us wanting a big car and a big house and a great career. That's not the context. If God gives that to you, great. must have been in the context of something else. But it's not in the context of this verse. This verse is in the context of correcting a straying brother or sister. All right, let's move on to verse 21. Forgiveness. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times 7. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and, that, and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead, to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling, and he, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves <clears throat> saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported it to their Lord, all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have merely, uh, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. My Heavenly Father is going to do to each of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. So in other words, it's not just 
I forgive you. <laughs> God deals all the time with our heart. He wants our heart. Forgiveness from the heart. The debt that is owed is 10,000 talents by the first slave. One talent is 15 years wages. One talent is 15 years wages. So you got 10,000 talents times 15 years is 150,000 years wages. What's the wages of a common laborer? Let's say $30,000. So 150,000 times 30,000 is $4.5 billion. That is the debt. $4.5 billion put in our current day context. Most people don't know the difference between a million and a billion. It's three orders of magnitude. Let me give it to you in seconds. A million seconds is 12 days. A billion seconds is 32 years. Is there a difference between a million and a billion? $4.5 billion is owed by this servant. That tells us that this is beyond the grasp of anyone. Nobody can start out $4.5 billion in debt and end up paying it back. You say, well, well, Bill Gates could pay it back. He didn't start out $4.5 billion in the hole when he started Microsoft. You don't start out $4.5 billion in debt to anyone and ever work your way out of it. What Jesus is telling us is there is a debt here that cannot be repaid in this life. But what he does say, ultimately, and I think it's fascinating, is let him be thrown into prison until it is paid back in full. So, there is going to be payment made, if not in this life, in the life to come. Payment will be made. The other servant, what did he owe? He owed... 100 denarii. 100 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage, so that's 100 days' wage. So 100 days' wage for a common laborer is about half a year's worth because you get weekends off, so say $15,000. So it's not an insignificant debt. If somebody owes you $15,000, you don't go, oh, <laughs> I don't worry about it. <laughs> no, $15,000 is a fair amount of money. But it's not $4.5 billion. 15,000 you can think of working your way out of. In fact, many of you Oh, much more than 15,000. And you will work your way out of that. You really will. But that's the size of the debt. $15,000 versus $4.5 billion. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, somebody owes you $15,000. You learn to have mercy on them. Because remember, you owe me a, a debt that you cannot pay. And I have so forgiven you. The forgiveness came when this man felt prost- where he, he prostrated himself and he begged for mercy. The way he was going to have to pay back this huge debt was he was going to be sold along with everything he had and his wife and his children. What a man does with his life affects his family. What a woman does with her life affects her family. 
It's not in isolation. We have a community. And life is a community. And the decisions that men and women make affect the community. They affect the crime rate in the community. They affect alcohol alcoholism and drug rates in the community which affect all of us. It's not like, oh, well, that, that guy, you know, he... No, that affects me, what the other person decides to do. But when it's in my own family, it affects me all the more. And as a parent, the decisions that we make affect our children tremendously. The decisions that a father makes affect his wife and affect his children. The decisions that a woman makes affect her husband, affect her children. And this is why the Bible calls us to be different, to be better, to improve ourselves so that we could influence our families in the right way. This is the magnitude of the debt. And God says, have mercy upon another. In the same way that we give it forth, we will receive it. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verse 35. Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Look what He says. He says, love your enemies. You know, the other scripture says, if your brother comes and asks forgiveness, forgive him. And I've seen many believers say, well... He hasn't asked me for forgiveness. When he does, I'll forgive him. Well, you know, your heart now is bound to that person. And you will begin to feel resentment. There will be many times in your life when people will not seek forgiveness. And unless you learn to forgive and to be gracious, you will be bound to them. That doesn't mean you have to deal with them every day. doesn't mean that you have to fellowship with them every day. If somebody has done you great wrong, but you ask God to deal with your heart. To deal with your heart. There are people that have hurt my family tremendously. One person in particular. And God continually has to deal with my heart. And I continually. It has been ten years since this event. And I still, to this day, am going back and say, Lord, work forgiveness in my heart. I proclaim forgiveness to this man. Work forgiveness in my heart. Because I don't want to be bound to him in any way. And the scriptures say, if you lend, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Here is a great principle. If you lend another believer money, don't expect to get anything in return. If they return it to you, fine. But what happens, and I'll give you from my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of many. A woman came to us. Her family was in need that month. And, and this, was, this was 20 years ago, so none of you know her. She came to us, and, and her family was in need that month. And this happens with all families. And we didn't have much money at the time either. But we gave to her. And it wasn't a lot. I mean, it was, it was something like $100. It wasn't a lot of money. And she really wanted to take her kids to the state fair because they just ran out of cash that month. And I understand. And the state fair is coming through. 
and she wanted to be able to take her kids, and they didn't have the money, and that's fine. So we lent her the money. A month later, she said, I have your money. I said, okay, that's fine. She never gave it to us. And then a month later, she said, my husband's going to pay you guys your money. Okay? And she never gave it. And what happened was, she became more and more distant from us. And she began to avoid us. I mean, for $100, it wasn't worth the problem. But she began to avoid us. And any time we would come in, she'd go out the other way. Because she felt this thing, that we had lent her money and she had never given it back. And to this day, she's never given it back. And then I came to appreciate what this scripture says, that when you lend, just say, look, you don't have to give it back. Don't worry about it. If you want to, fine. But if you can't, fine. When you give to a brother, when you give to a sister, give expecting nothing in return. That way, if you get it back, fine. You know, it's, wow, I got it back. But if not, there's not this animosity that comes in. And I've heard this teaching before, and I've lived it. And I've seen it. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 6. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. This verse, verse 38, is always used, not always, but most often used in the context of giving money, very often in the context of giving money to a church or to a ministry. This is not the context of that verse. I think people should be gracious in giving to churches and ministries. But the context of this verse is not money. Maybe God does supply a million times over in giving of money. Maybe He doesn't. I don't know, but we're to give. But the context of this is, it says right above it in verse 37, pardon and you will be pardoned. He lists some things. Whatever you do, you will get back. And he says you won't get back the same level. Whatever you give out, you're going to get back many times over. That is the principle of sowing and reaping. You sow a kernel, one kernel of corn, you get back 10,000 that year. You sow those 10,000 and it just, boom, exponentially grows year after year from that one kernel. That is the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow mercy, you receive mercy. If you sow judgment, you receive judgment. People will say, I don't know why the whole world's always dumping on me. Well, did you ever dump on anyone? You're just reaping what you sowed. Repent. Repent. And, you know, it used to really bother me that um, people do certain things. I'll give you an an example. I I was, you know, I work out three times a week at the the rec center. I have this lock that I use three times a week to open my locker. So I go there one day, and this young lady comes out, and she's at the front desk. And this was, this was uh, I guess this year they don't give out locks anymore, but they used to give out locks. And, and so she was at the front desk asking the combination of her lock because she had forgotten the combination of her lock. And I'm thinking, I mean, here's this rice student, gotten into rice, and she can't even remember her combination. This is like, you know, a fourth grader. 
So, I go in to open my locker, and I cannot remember my lock number. I cannot remember it. I'm going, oh, Lord, you're getting me back now. I know it. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I cannot remember this. I can remember my locker. I'm looking at the lock, and I just can't remember. I've been opening this lock for years, the same lock. I can't remember. And I sheepishly go out to the guy at the desk and, can I get my locker number? <laughs> we reap what we sow. If we sow judgment, we shall reap judgment. Has this ever happened to anybody? Where you've reaped what you've sown very quickly? You know, I, I used to get really upset when people would turn in their cars without signaling. And then every time I do it without signaling, I'm like, oh Lord, have mercy on the next guy. Because, because sometimes I'll turn without signaling. And I'll say, I do it too. And so the Lord would check me on this. And so when I see people doing it, I'm like, I do it all the time anyway, myself. Turn. And, and so we reap what we sow and we, we, we reap back many times over. What you give in your life to others, you will reap back many times over. You sow mercy, you'll get mercy many times over back. You sow judgment, you get back judgment many times over. The principle of sowing and reaping, so much so, it will just spew out over in your lap. My wife is so giving. My wife buys so much food. And this isn't just a recent thing. When, when we were first married in graduate school, so... I was in graduate school. I made a graduate student stipend. And, and uh, um, Shireen would, would buy all this food and give it away. There were people in the church that needed food. And, you know, she'd take food from the refrigerator and give it away to people. You know, this lady would be visiting. She'd say, oh, let me give you some stuff. And, you know, I'd go to the refrigerator and it's empty. Did, didn't, we, didn't we just buy groceries for the week? Oh, yeah, well, Marsha was here and I just gave her a few things. It's, it's empty. You know, when a guy goes to a refrigerator, you just got to eat something. You just, you know, you open the door. And sometimes I just like to open the door and just look. You know, just, just, just see what's there. Just know that something's there. You guys know what I mean, right? You know, you just, just like to see what's there. And the thing's empty, you know. She's given away so much. And you know what happens is, Everybody loves her. You know, I go to I go to a football game and they're like, Huh, you're Shereen's husband? That woman is the nicest woman. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. She is really nice. Just wherever I go. Nobody tells Shereen how wonderful her husband is. <laughs> Never happens. My wife is so giving. She gets these blessings. It just pours out in her lap. Just falls over all these blessings. And I walk behind her and I pick these things up. I get blessed because of how gracious she is. When you learn to be gracious and give, you get back many times over. My home has been deeply blessed because of her liberality. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that you teach us how to walk in a position of giving grace to others. And so blessing them. And Father, learning how to correct a brother or sister. That we would follow precisely the scriptural pattern. And Father, I pray for these young people. 
that you so work in their hearts forgiveness, attitudes of forgiveness, and walking in forgiveness because they, like me, have been forgiven of a deep debt that cannot possibly be repaid. And so, Lord, let us walk in grace toward others. And, Father, I pray that you would so work in their lives that they would be gracious and giving and so receive back many times over mercy and pardoning, not judgment. Father, bless them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.